I love the medley that the choir sang. I'll never forget the first time I heard, Oh, the Blood of Jesus sung. And uh, it was a unique experience. I had been invited to visit a Bible study at Greaterford Prison in uh, Pennsylvania, maximum security prison where uh, the most violent prisoners in the state of Pennsylvania are taken, and uh, over 4,000 inmates in that prison. And uh, I went along, and these two fellows from our church that were leading a Bible study there wanted their pastor to come and visit. So uh, we got in there, and uh, the guard came out and said, do you need an escort? And uh, the fellow that brought me in there, he was about this high, he from Brooklyn, he said, no, we've got the Lord. <laughs> and I looked down this long corridor, and there were literally thousands of men. And just one word came to mind. The word shiv came to mind. If you've ever been in a prison, those homemade knives that they like to make for themselves. And, and I thought, well, yeah, I know we've got the Lord, but so the three of us walked down there, and we went into this, this room uh, where these people who were doing long time were sitting waiting for the Bible study, and they began with that song. And it was the first time I'd ever heard it as I sat with those convicted murderers and various felons singing about the blood of Jesus. I'll tell you, it... Uh, It moved me so deeply uh, to hear how much the blood of Jesus meant uh, to men in that situation. I I didn't ask any of them why they were in there, but they were in there, and they were delighted that the blood of Jesus had washed them clean. Some people don't like that about Christianity. I remember one nice public school teacher who told me you mean that if somebody did like really horrible things like murder and stuff like that and then they just got saved that God would take them to heaven when they die I said you've got it she said I don't want any parts of a religion like that she had spent all her life being good and she was about to have to face the fact that that wouldn't do her a bit of good to get into heaven no matter how good you've been. I remember I, I've met people that tell me how good they are, and I, I like to tell them, I say, you know, if being good could get you into heaven, I think you'd get there. But it can't. Only the blood of Jesus can wash our sins away. Amen? And only the death of Christ on our behalf could purchase a place in heaven for sinners like us. Yeah. My dad used to say, He said, you know, all the criminals aren't in jail, just the ones that got caught, you know. And uh, I hope you've been caught by the Holy Spirit who has convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment and showed you the Savior. And what a rejoicing it is. And some people, they come to a church that sings about the blood and they say, that's icky. That's disgusting. That's awful. And the answer is yes. Our sin was icky, disgusting, and awful. 
and Jesus died an icky, disgusting, awful death for us. The death we deserved, he took. So thank you, choir, for leading us in worship of our great Savior and exalting the price paid for our salvation. Let's read a verse of scripture together that was sung by the early church. It is one of the first uh, universally agreed upon confessions of faith in the early church. They often orally confess their faith. We have some of those uh, doctrinal statements that have come down to us. A very simple one, and it's all about the Lord Jesus. So stand with me in honor of God's word as we read 1 Timothy 3.16 together aloud. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. You may be seated. There is one little skill that this church needs to work on a little bit for your new pastor. He's like from kind of a Baptist background, and he's used to people saying amen when they agree with him. And you were singing it this morning. You sang a prayer. Let the amen sound from his people again. You sang that. Do you know you'll have a chance to answer your own prayer uh, if you agree with something? Amen is different than applauding, okay? Uh, we A lot of churches do a lot of applauding, and that's okay. But that kind of centers on the performer. Uh, but amen is basically saying, I agree. That's it. Now, don't do it too loud or too often, or the preacher will go way over time. Okay? <laughs> because saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick to a dog, you know. But uh, let the amen sound from his people again. You will encourage him if you say that once in a while, at the right time, at the right time. It's good to get the timing right. The other thing I want to do is uh, I noticed that we had 300 people at the last Wednesday night prayer meeting we had. Did you notice that? It was a very good attendance. And I think you should keep it up. I'm dead serious about that. Now, we've not had prayer meeting for the last three weeks with the holiday and VBS and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what, this Wednesday night, back in the Family Life Center at 630, we're going to meet together. We're going to study a psalm. We're going to sing a psalm. And we're going to share and we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for our missionaries. We're going to pray for this church. And you are in a transition as... as uh, Dave Brown already said, you, your, your church is in a transition. And, and during this time, it's very important that you uphold the ministries and the, the pastors of this church in, in prayer. Uh, you have a new staff member joining the staff this week, Rachel Dickens. There's a lot going on. I know it's summertime, but there's a lot going on in this church. So I would encourage you, if you can possibly be here, if you don't have to work, and you don't have to watch TV or sports on Wednesday night, please come, okay? 
and, uh, and be with us. And if you've never gone to prayer meeting, this is a good time to start. Uh, before you knew pastor, he doesn't know that you don't go to prayer meeting, okay? He doesn't know that. And if you come, you start the habit this Wednesday night, and you're still doing that when he gets here, he's going to think you're, like, really spiritual. He'll be really impressed with you, and you'll be okay. So this is a fresh start. A new pastor is a fresh start, folks. Really, really. He doesn't know anything, okay? And it's a whole fresh start. Started off positive. I'm dead serious about that. 1 Timothy 3.16. Let's bow in prayer. Father, as we open your word, we ask that Christ would be exalted, that the gospel would be clear, and that you would bring about faith in those who hear your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The mystery of godliness is the title of today's message. And you'll see the six points of this message on the back of your bulletin. And it's all about Jesus, the mystery of godliness. And for many people, godliness is a mystery. Uh, They notice that some people seem to be very godly, and other people seem to be very worldly. And uh, they wonder why some people are godly and some people are worldly. And they think, well, maybe it had to do with their upbringing or their personality or their experiences or uh, whatever. And they wonder about this thing called godliness. And for many, it is a mystery. But Paul, in this verse, in this common confession of the early church, this was something that the early church said over and over again, so many times, and probably sang it, it may have been a hymn, uh, that they all knew it by heart. They, they just knew it. It was something that was known to all the Christians. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. How does a person become godly? What is the secret of a spiritual life? What is the most important ingredient in the Christian life? The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 3.16 to paraphrase the verse, the secret of the successful Christian life is Jesus Christ himself. It is him, it is the relationship that we have with the living Christ that makes all the difference in the Christian life. The Christian life is not a list of rules that we seek to have the willpower to follow. It is not merely an organization that we seek to join and participate in. It is a person who has entered our lives and is changing us now and forever. Paul confesses, that no one can successfully argue with the fact that the mystery or the secret of a godly life is Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, there it is. Okay. You're getting in a habit. Getting in a habit. When the pastor pauses, give him an amen. That's good. It's good training. My job is to train you for the next guy. Okay. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
We saw last week that Christ in the church is what makes the church truly alive. And the person that will make you alive is Jesus Christ being formed in you by the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, we were training high school students to go on a missions trip up to Nova Scotia. And uh, one of the requirements uh, of their training was that they needed to go on door-to-door visitation on Sunday afternoon with me and a few others and uh, get to know people. And so uh, I was on one side of the street with another team member, and there were uh, two teens on the other side of the street. And uh, when we were uh, done with that street, they came up to me and they said, we really had a great opportunity. We got to knock on the door of a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> I mean, you talk about turnabout is fair play, right? Knocking on their door. And, and, and they said, they, they invited us in, and this uh, couple, an older couple, invited us in, and they told us, they said, that Jesus is not God. And they said that there's nowhere in the Bible that says that Jesus is God. And we said, oh, yes, he is. And yes, the Bible does say. And they said, well, show us. And we couldn't do it because we didn't know. They said, Pastor, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? I said, that's your homework for next week. I said, you're going to go back. You're going to study This week, and then you're going to go back to that house, and you're going to tell them. So they studied. And they came up with a bunch of verses. Do you know the best verse they came up with is found in Colossians 2.9. I love it. Turn there with me, please. Colossians The antecedent is Christ. You see that in verse 8. The last word of verse 8 is Christ. Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Wow. I mean, if you wanted to write a verse that said what Jesus was God, could you do any better job than that? All the fullness of deity dwells in him. Somehow, In the body of Jesus dwelt all the fullness of deity. Jesus is fully God. Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, he's a God. I like to say to them, so how many gods are there? Like he's one of them? That really gets them mixed up. Jesus said, you must honor the Son as you honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father either. Whatever honor we give to God the Father, we give to God the Son because God the Son is equal with the Father. Jesus is God. It is clear from Scripture. He is God. Paul says something about the mystery. He says it is great. The mystery is great. Why is the mystery of godliness great? Because the mystery of godliness is Jesus, and Jesus is great, 
And this hymn is all about Jesus. It is all about him. To be a godly person is to be a person in whom Christ dwells and is living out his life through our lives. So we have six items here that tell us of the greatness of Jesus Christ, the God-man. First of all, we see the greatness of his love. He was revealed in the flesh. This is a concept that was very difficult for Greek philosophers and Greek thinkers to accept because they had the idea that spirit is good and flesh is bad. So when they heard that God who is spirit came in flesh, they denied it. They said that can't be because flesh is bad. But the Christians made it clear that Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man, yet without sin. That's Christmas, amen? Hey, we're, 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 pretty, we're getting close. We're on the side that's closer now to Christmas. You know? It's coming. You doing your shopping, Grandma? You starting to pick up a few things for the grandkids? Yeah, Christmas. Why do we as Christians celebrate Christmas? Because God became man. Somehow, the God who is everywhere, the God who is spirit, the God who is invisible, came down in the embryonic form of a man in the womb of a virgin named Mary and was swimming around in there for a while. Incredible to think of that. Went through the normal process of nine months of growth in her womb and then a human birth, all without a human father, the virgin conception of God in flesh, and then he lived a fully human life, tempted in every point like as we are, yet without sin. He understands us. You talk about walking in our moccasins. He lived a human life, fully human. And he passed every test that Adam and Eve flunked. He passed every test that you and I have failed. He is the one who is truly the God-man. John 1 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word that was God with God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. He is truly human. He loves us enough to become one of us. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Theologians call this the doctrine of the incarnation. That is, He came in flesh. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
You talk about being human. He who never sinned accepted the death for all of mankind's sins, all of humans, all the sins that we have committed were poured upon him and the guilt of them and the punishment of them. He has accepted the sin of all the human race on himself. He took the lowest place in the human race, even though he rightfully held the highest place in the universe. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday every atheist, every denier of God and of Christ, everyone who has ever used His name in vain will bow before Jesus Christ. He is the God-man, the One who came in flesh. And He is the key to godliness in your life. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And now that life that I live is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. And it is your relationship with Him to listen to Him speak through His Word, to speak to Him in prayer, to depend on Him for everything, to walk with Him all through your day. That is the mystery of godliness. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The greatness of His love that He was manifested, revealed in the flesh. He became human for our salvation. Secondly, the greatness of His holiness. He was vindicated in the Spirit. Hey, have you, waited, have, have you been waiting for your vindication? Those people on that job that accused you of something you didn't do? That teacher that didn't understand what you did and what you, have you been waiting for vindication? That relative that accused you of something, and you're waiting for for the truth to come out and for everybody to realize just how right you were. How's that going? Yeah, don't wait forever. You know, vindication in this earth doesn't come to us very well, does it? But for Jesus Christ, He was vindicated in the Spirit. What does that mean? I believe it means that he was justified, declared righteous by God in the spiritual aspect of his life. You remember at his baptism, a dove came and sat upon him, and the voice of the Father came from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How happy some Adults would be if somehow their mom or their dad could lay their, his, his hand on their shoulder and say, good job. I'm proud of you. Good job. You've done a good job. Some people have never had that. But Jesus had that. Why? Because he did everything right. He did the will of his father in every aspect of his life. In his miracles, he was vindicated. I was reading this week about how 
The Lord Jesus said something very simple to his disciples. He said, uh, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they got in a boat. And when they get out in the storm, <laughs> Jesus was asleep. They woke him up and they said, Master, we're perishing. Can't you, don't you care that we perish? He stood up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And instantly there was a great calm and they were quiet. He said, peace, be still. And they were. And then he said, you have such little faith. I always wondered about that. I, I, I would have been scared in a storm like that. I bet it would have been waking Jesus up. Somebody pointed out to me years ago, he had said we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to the bottom. He said we're going to the other side. Simple word of Jesus. Why didn't they pay attention to what he said? And isn't that our problem today? We get so wrapped up in our feelings and events and, and what's happening and the losses and confusion of our lives and we forget that Jesus said, I'm taking you to the other side. Amen? Amen. He's taking us to the other side. Safely. Safely. And what did they say when the wind and the waves were instantly calm at his word, peace be still? They said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey his command. They're like, whoa. This isn't just like a really good preacher. This isn't just a really good prophet. This isn't just a really good rabbi that we really like. He commands the winds and the waves. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the creator God. Wow. Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He saw the holiness of Jesus. But most of all, his holiness was vindicated at his resurrection. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 3, to see that the Spirit is the one who declared Jesus to be righteous by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Romans chapter 1. And Paul says, I'm writing to you concerning his son. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Many have died Many died on crosses in ancient times. Many died and many, and it looked like, well, Jesus was a great prophet, a great uh, rabbi, a great teacher, but, well, it's too bad. His enemies triumphed over him. He died on the cross. But when Jesus came alive again, when the tomb was empty, when Jesus appeared to his followers in the upper room and said to Thomas, come examine my hands and my side, it's me. Thomas fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. The resurrection vindicated Jesus. It proved that he was right and righteous and was accepted by the Father when the Spirit raised him from the dead and showed that he was right, that he was God, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And then 
we see, thirdly, the greatness of his majesty was seen by angels. Seen by angels. And all through the life and ministry of Jesus, angels keep showing up. The angels showed up to announce his birth to Mary and then to Joseph and then to the shepherds. Angels ministered to him in the Garden of Gethsemane as he struggled with drinking the cup of our sins. Angels announced his resurrection from the dead. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Go, come and see the place where he lay and go to him in Galilee. The angels, the angels at his ascension said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. The angels observed the ministry of Jesus. And the Bible says that they desire to look into these things. They wonder what God is up to with this planet of such rebellious people who have gone to worship themselves and worship all kinds of material things, who have gotten so entangled in immorality, who have made such a mess of themselves and the planet, why would God reach out to them? The angels don't understand it. But this is the mystery of his grace and mercy, is that he would reach out to people like us. And angels just cannot Imagine why he would do that. And then we see the greatness of his mercy in being preached among who? The Gentiles. Now, when you read the Old Testament, you know that God chose the Jewish people and he intended to bless the Gentiles too. That's clear. But the mystery that is revealed by Paul in the New Testament is that Gentiles and Jews are accepted in Christ through faith in his death and resurrection. How many of you were Gentiles? Some of you are not sure. So what's he talking about? Yeah, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? Maybe you need to go home and check your DNA or something. I don't know. But uh, most of us are Gentiles, And uh, we wouldn't have had much chance outside of Jesus. Outside of Jesus. But inside of Jesus, trusting in him, even far-off Gentiles like ourselves have been brought near to God into his salvation through Christ. And that's the message that the risen Christ gave. He said, Wait here till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Yes, even the Gentiles. The greatness of God's mercy that he was preached among the Gentiles and praise God, Jesus is being preached among the Gentiles today. Peoples all over the world are hearing the gospel because the gospel is going out. I was looking at my mail this morning and I was so excited to see uh, a letter, a report from uh, Hannah. Uh, 
Shaheen with Endure International. And it's exciting what the Lord is doing among the Druze people. They live in northern Israel. They have kind of their own strange religion and really keep to themselves. But now, scores of Druze are coming to faith in Christ. Praise God. The Nubians, he reports on, who are Muslims. The Yazidis in Iraq are coming to Christ. Kurds are coming to Christ through Dr. McGee's Bible studies in the Kurdish language. Isn't that exciting? God is saving people around the world. We've been reading reports, we've been sharing some in prayer meeting from Crew and their ministry of the Jesus film being taken in little projectors, being taken into remote areas of war-torn Syria among terrorist groups and families. Muslim terrorist families are coming to faith in Jesus Christ through the Jesus film, the gospel being presented to them. Hey, that's what Muslim terrorists need. They need Jesus. He will make all the difference in their lives. Praise God that he is being even today preached among the Gentiles. And then we see he is being believed on in the world. That is God's work. It is God's work. And if you believe in Christ today, it is not because of your superior intellect or anything like that. It is God's grace who opened the blind eyes of your heart who raised your spirit from the dead and caused you to be able to believe in Jesus. It is a divine work of God. He gets the glory that Jesus was believed on in the world. This movement we call Christianity could all gather in a large room of a house. 120 people. But then... There were 3,000, and then there were 10,000. And now, in every country of the world, there are believers in Jesus Christ. Wow. He has been believed on in the world. That is God's work to grant faith to those who hear the gospel around the world. And then the greatness of His glory taken up into glory. This speaks of His ascension recorded in Acts chapter 1. While they were standing, He was taken up and received into glory. What a wonderful Savior. He is still the God-man. He is still fully God and fully man. He is still fully God and fully one of us. He is our divine older brother who has invited us into the family of God and has gone to prepare a place for us. He will come again and receive us unto himself that where he is, there we shall be also. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. Did you ever wonder whether anybody's praying for you? I remember one lady, she says, I always try to have my surgeries on Thursday so that they'll pray for me on Wednesday night at prayer meeting. You know, it's good planning. It's good planning. You want to get all the prayer you can. But whether your friends are praying for you or not, 
whether there's a prayer meeting that mentions you or not, there is a divine intercessor in heaven who is ever interceding for us. What a wonderful Savior we have. He's wonderful. But let me ask you a personal question just for you. By the definition of this verse, are you a godly person? Does Jesus live in you? Have you ever opened the door of your heart and invited Jesus to come into your life? Have you ever admitted you were a sinner and put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again? Who is Jesus to you? I didn't ask if you were a religious person. I didn't ask if you are a churchy person. I didn't even ask if you were a moral person. I asked if you were a godly person in whom Christ dwells. Sadly enough for many, he is only a curse word. He is only a great teacher or the founder of a great religion or even a great moral example. But for me, he is the Savior from my sins He is the Lord of my life. He is my closest friend. He is my hope for the future. He is my life. Paul said it that way. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Saul of Tarsus had been a very religious guy. But he said, whatever things were gained to me, Philippians 3, 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, The greatest thing in my life is to know Christ, and I want to know him better every day. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? And let me just ask you a question. Do you know him? Is he personal to you? Is he your personal Savior? Do you know that he lives in you? Are you in him? Is he in you? Have you ever admitted to God that you're a guilty sinner and put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again? Have you ever invited him into your heart? You can do that today, right here, now. This is the day of salvation for you. Right where you are, you can receive Christ. He can hear your heart. Just pray silently in your heart to God. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I receive you into my life.
as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I want to just pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who received Christ into their life today. I thank you that you have come in and that you have forgiven their sins. You have given them a home in heaven. You have given them yourself. And you will never leave them nor forsake them. That you will always be with them. And that you give unto them eternal life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed with me today to receive Christ, I'd love to hear about that and help you get started in your new life in Christ. And we're having a special Sunday school class for new believers. If, if this is all new to you, to know Christ personally, I encourage you, 9.30 on, uh, 9.15 rather, on Sunday mornings, uh, right down the hall here is a class that Diane and I teach for new believers. I encourage you. We have a few more weeks of that class. I encourage you to see me uh, today or soon and, uh, and join that new believers class. It's a whole new life to know Christ as your Savior. Amen. Would you remain standing as Rick Powell comes and leads us in prayer? And after Rick leads us in prayer, we'll sing together, God be with you, till we meet again. Would you bow your head with me, please? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message that we have heard today from your servant, Dr. Peters. We thank you for Dan and Diane for the ministry they've had here. Dear Lord, a short time, but we have been truly blessed through them working for you. We ask your blessings upon James and Lauren and their children, Lord, as they leave tomorrow morning. Please keep them safe. It's never easy to see loved ones leave, but we know that they're working for you as each one of us should be doing, even though we're not going to the Dominican Republic. We're on the mission field when we step out these doors because the church is not a building. It's flesh and blood. And that's what Jesus told his disciples to do, and that's what we should do. Go and tell others about Jesus. And the wonderful thing, we don't deserve anything. But as Dan preached today, we're going to cross over. We're going to the other side. And our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we hope and pray, Lord, if someone today has accepted you, there's celebration in heaven. And we hope that those, that it will continue. We ask your blessings upon the 32 people that are leaving tomorrow morning to Lynchburg, dear Lord. Bless them and keep them and help their light shine for you. We ask we, the mission of the week, Lord, Transworld Radio, Randy and Rose Sieg and their children and the wonderful ministry they have here and as they go out to other places, please bless them, Lord. As it says in Psalms, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Go with us as we leave here, dear Lord, and have we, may we boldly profess you as Savior and Lord if we're given this opportunity this week. In Jesus' holy name I ask this. Amen. <laughs>